Welcome to the Life of Christ series for term two. This is lesson 11. Now, because we've had a break, I'm just going to quickly go over the scriptures that we were looking at last time. We're in chapter 14. I'm going to begin reading in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. I'm going to read forward to where we need to be today. So this is just to catch you up. It says, Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And jumping to Luke five twenty-seven, it says, After these things he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And that's all he said to him. And it goes on to say in verse 28, Luke five twenty-eight. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. And verse 29 says, So then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And it says in Mark two fifteen. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors uh, and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And verse 16 goes and says, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? All right, and then when it says in, we're jumping to Matthew's account now, Matthew nine twelve, it says, When Jesus heard that he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And he says, but go, in verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Remember, we talked about all of this. Now we're into the second part of verse 13, where he says, For I did not come, and the implication is from heaven, to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And that's identical to what both Mark and Luke say. So there is no question about what Jesus is saying here. So let's begin by looking at a quote from William Hendrickson. He says, The rendering favored by almost all English translations, namely repentance, is too weak and one-sided. That translation emphasizes only the negative aspect of what is meant here. The word in the original indicates a radical transformation. The concept has two elements. I'm on page 9. In chapter 14. The concept here has two elements. Firstly, and I want you to listen to this. A definite sorrow for and turning from evil. And secondly, and more importantly, a resolute turning to God in faith and obedience. Now see, a lot of people focus on the negative aspect. You know, you got to give this up and you got to say goodbye to that lifestyle and everything else. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, and like I was saying on Sunday, you know, it's important that you focus forward. Not backward. You need to look to where you are going. It needs to make sense why you're giving up something. It isn't just for the sake of giving it up. It is actually you going on to something else. You doing something else that doesn't allow you the time to do all those other things. You know what I'm trying to say? Amen? And uh, not that you're working 24 hours a day. Don't get me wrong. All right? But, you know, if we keep busy, if we have purpose in life, if we move forward, then it's very likely that we will not do other things because we just won't have the time to do it, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah? And so that, that's one of the things that this brings out. A resolute turning to God in faith and obedience. And so this is something that, notice is not just a giving up, but turning to God in faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. So, you know, th- those are two very powerful things. We need to be obedient, but we need, and, and we need to grow in faith. Let's continue. Therefore, Craig Evans says that by associating with the unrighteous, Jesus is not advocating a lowering of, a proper, biblical, of proper biblical standards of righteousness. On the contrary, 
The purpose of his ministry is to make it possible for the fallen to be lifted up to God's standards of righteousness. Amen? See, now this is where Jesus and the Pharisees parted ways. Okay, they didn't want to touch that unclean thing because they didn't want to become unclean. And you know what the hypocrisy of that was? They were worse than the sinners that they were criticizing. (laughs) That's the reason why. You know that word hypocrisy? It, It tells you that the person that is correcting you is themselves doing all the things that they are objecting you doing. Do you understand? I don't think I got that right, but you get what I'm saying, right? okay? See, this is the reason why Jesus was so angry with them. That is the thing that causes Jesus the greatest grief is when, you know, and people do this even today. In ministry, people do this. They are so quick to judge people. And they themselves are living terrible lives. And you know, and that's the reason why, you know, people just sort of say, I don't want to get involved in all that religious stuff because the person's preaching it is worse than the people that he's correcting. You know, and that was very much the case in Jesus' time. Alright, because these people were doing things that Jesus is later on going to expose all their deeds. He's going to keep that under covers for a while until he gets right to the end and you know when he knows he's about to go to the cross he just throws it out there because they were meant to repent from all of that and because they didn't and because they were looking to literally murder him he says fine you know what if you're going to be that way then here it is and thank god because we we needed to know why all that was happening as well you know what was the big beef they had with him it wasn't really what he was doing it was what he stood for because of what he stood for, they criticized what he was doing. And they would pick on him like saying, Oh, you healed, but on the Sabbath day. Who cares? Really? You know what I mean? Really? Who cares? And the thing is, that God's law never forbade that. But their laws did. Which then tells you where their heads were at and where they were at by then. Okay, let's get back to this. So, once again, he says here again, All of this was to make it possible for the fallen to be lifted up to God's standards of righteousness. However, as R. Kent Hughes points out, Jesus was also saying, in effect, to people who think they are righteous, I have nothing to say. But to those who know they have need, I have come. Get it? Okay, I thought that was really good. All right. We see an outstanding example of this in uh, Luke chapter 18. Now we've seen these verses over and over again, but just for the sake of uh, continuity, let's just go there and quickly read through them. In verses 9 through 14, where it says, he, uh, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that were righteous and despised others. In verse 10, he says, Two men, went, remember Jesus is speaking here, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. You all know the story. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, let me just say this. Jesus is actually going to say that they are extortioners later on. That they are unjust. And I don't know about the adulterers, but I wouldn't put it past them. Okay, (laughs) all right? But isn't it interesting how he's highlighting this as things that this tax collector is that he isn't. And at the same time, he's doing that and worse. Again, why Jesus says you hypocrites. All right. 
No, no, this is advertising. I fast twice a week, give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, okay, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Can I give you a little glimpse of what was actually going on there? We're going to find out later on when we get to a a certain situation with the Roman centurion. That comes up and asks for healing for his servant. When we, when we get to that, it's a tremendous story. And it, it is to do with the time that Jesus says, I have not found so great faith in all, in all of Israel. Right, that one. But some, in Matthew's account, which is fantastic, he, he, he buys, just goes off in a bit of a tangent and says people will come from the east and the west. And you, know, you just think, Jesus, you just skipped a groove there, dude. You know? <laughs> on one, one moment, you know, we talk about this uh, centurion and, and, and you know, needing healing for his servant. And suddenly Jesus jumps off and goes off. He doesn't. He is using this centurion, who's a Roman, who's not a Jew, as an example of what's coming. Alright? And in that example, he says that the sons of the kingdom will be cast out to outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. All those people that are walking around saying, we're the children of Abraham and we're his seed. As, as long as they are behaving in a way, A, rejecting their Messiah, which is what, is what causes all the problems to begin with, and refusing to repent, which is the other problem. Okay, This is what that actually means. At the end of the day, their humbling will be, they'll be thrown into hell. And all those that humble themselves, like this little tax collector, him being justified, it says, and all these, all these people, all these Gentiles coming from all over the place, will be sitting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. Will be exalted. Are you seeing this? Alright, let's move on. Once more, Jesus goes and identify where this arrogant, self-righteous attitude comes from. When he says to the Pharisees, remember in John 8.44, you are of your father the devil. So we know that's where it's coming from. And he says, and the desires of your father you want to do. In short, these people needed salvation just as much as the people they despised and rejected. And why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Listen, no amount of good works would substitute for the new birth. And what the Apostle Paul meant when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. Now, understand something. You can't do that with good works. Do you understand? Amen? No amount of good works is going to make you a new creation. Do you get it? That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You see, you can do good. See, now I was listening to something and the person was sort of saying, well, you know, don't think your good works are going to go and get you to heaven. And it was almost getting to the place where you almost didn't want to do any good works. And so what, <laughs> what I want to emphasize today is that, listen, man, you should be doing your good works because you're going. Not so that you can try and get there. Do you understand? And if you do, listen carefully, this is going to really help you. Y'all, wait. Okay. 
if you do your good works because you know you're going to heaven, you are going to look to God to direct you in what you're doing. Because you're not just trying to please. See, those people that do good works to try and get to heaven, all they're doing is going, God, is this good enough? Am I pleasing you? I'll do another good work. And sometimes good works are not God works and they can drive people crazy. <laughs> okay, do you know what I'm trying to say? Whereas if you are doing good works because you know you're going, then you're, you're not trying to impress God. Amen? What you're doing, trying to do is be in His will in what you're doing. So you're saying, okay God, I know I'm coming to heaven. That's no problem. So therefore, I know I can access you. Get it? And so whatever I want to do, is it, the question now you're asking is, is this in your will? Is this something that you have planned? Talk to me about how to do this, when to do this, to whom, all those questions. You know what I'm trying to say? So that when you do it, it's right. And can I say, sometimes the timing makes a huge difference. You can do the right thing and do it at the wrong time, and it won't have the effect that it should. And then the person gets upset, you get upset because they got upset because you did something good for them and they didn't appreciate it and you know how it goes. <laughs> Amen? Alright? So you know, you always need to look for those things. Amen? Now it's very rare if you did something good and somebody won't appreciate it, but you know, sometimes there are times, just key moments where people are just having a bad day. <laughs> Do you know what I'm trying to say? And it's not that they don't, they don't appreciate what you've done, they're just in a very bad place. And no, you, then, then you walk off thinking, well, yeah. Okay, moving on. So that's all about good works. Anyway, back to this. Notice again, 2 Corinthians, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You need to understand that, that that's what Jesus is on about. This is why Jesus is ministering to all of these people. All the tax collectors and everybody else, all the people that the Jews are staying away from, Jesus is saying, all of them need to be born again. All of them need to become new creations. This is how the whole world is going to be saved. This is what he meant when he said, for God so loved the world. Not just the Jews. Amen? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. New creations. That's what gives you that everlasting life. It's the new creation. Okay. And I, I love this part. I can't go past it in verse 18. Notice it says, all things are of God. That is incredible. And I think if we get a revelation on that, we'll stop being the people that we thought we should be. And start becoming the people that God designed and destined for us to be. Uh, and what's sad is that while those that they hate and revile receive forgiveness and eternal life, they themselves did not. These I'm talking about the Pharisees. And why Jesus goes on to say to them in Luke um, chapter 13 verse 28, And there will be great weeping, here it is, okay, indicating immense sadness and regret, and gnashing of teeth, indicating great anger and resentment, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets within the kingdom of God. This is a reference that only Jews would recognize and consider important. But he says, but you will be thrown out. Now, uh, we're going to talk about that in more detail when we get to it later on. Because I don't want to deal with it right here. But that, when it says you will be thrown out, it actually indicates a certain amount of force being used to throw them out. Do you understand? They are not going to go willingly because they, they think they deserve to be there. 
Get it? Anyway, more on that later. As Leon Morris points out, repentance is not easy for the respectable and the self-righteous. Do we need to say that again? (laughs) Repentance is not easy for the respectable and the self-righteous. To conclude, as William MacDonald so wonderfully puts it, the scribes thought they would ruin the Lord's reputation by calling him a friend of sinners. But their intended insult has become an endearing tribute. All the redeemed gladly acknowledge him as the friend of sinners and will love him eternally for it. Because they will be in eternity with him. Amen? Amen. Okay. We're moving on. (laughs) We're going to talk about fasting here. So following the call of Matthew and the great banquet that followed, all right, with again the Pharisees objecting to the Lord's association with sinners and tax collectors, it goes to say uh, in Mark chapter 2 and verse 18 that the disciples of John, now we're going to get into another thing here. Are you all ready? Okay. (laughs) It says the disciples of John... Now, I've said here, who even after John's imprisonment chose to continue as a separate group, one that distinguished itself from the followers of Jesus. Now, let me just stop here for a minute. Why? John was the one that says, said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Amen? And remember, remember the, the Apostle John, that other John, you know, he just took off. <laughs> he was smart. I think it was Andrew was with him. And they just joined Jesus and went off from there. You know, and then all the evangelism took place from there. And, you know. uh, but I think it's really interesting. You know, I put that in there, and when I was actually doing the notes, I thought it worth mentioning that we just need to be careful that we don't get attached to people. Our attachment is to be to God. Amen? You know, our, our final respect, our final allegiance needs to be to God. And if Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh, well, that should be where their allegiance should have been. Yeah, stay with John while he's there and support him. I don't, that's not an issue with me. But I think once he's arrested, the right thing would have been for John's disciples to just head over to Jesus. And say, look man, <laughs> we got problems here. Do you think Jesus would have taken them in? Yeah, of course he would have. He did the other two. Amen? And that would have been the right thing. Because again, and they were related. Remember, they were cousins. So it's not like they're jumping camp, you know, to go somewhere else. Like John would care. Seriously, you know John, right? I just think if John was there, he'd say, What is wrong with you people? Go join him. Are you stupid or something? <laughs> you know? But that's how religion is. You know, religion isn't very smart. It's, anyway. So, uh, enough. I think you get what I'm saying here. So again, it says, The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they, these are the disciples of John, came and said to him, that's Jesus, Why do we, the disciples of John and the Pharisees, fast often and make prayers, but your disciples eat and drink? Remember, he just finished with Matthew, all right? And do not fast. <laughs> okay, so there's a, there's a bit of a thing going on here. Now, this is really important for all those people that are going to come up to you. And so they say, oh, don't you guys fast, and don't you guys do this, and don't you guys do that, and everything else, okay? There are, there are people that are very religious out there that can make you feel really bad for not fasting every day or whatever, okay? And on the surface, you know, they can sort of get you to a place where you're, you start really feeling bad about yourself, and they're just looking like so holy and righteous and everything else. But can I say this? 
Did Jesus ever say, go advertise your fast? Mm. See, we miss that, don't we? We, we, we? we look at the criticism and go, oh, I should be fasting, or I should be doing this, I should be doing that. Wait a second, wait, 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 one minute. I'm not saying you shouldn't fast, by all means. I'm just saying, hang on, who told you? And how did they tell you? Are you all with me? And you need to know where that's coming from. There's a lot of those spirits out there still, family. And what they'll do is turn you off from doing something that's good. Because the next time you want to fast, you think of brother, you know, big mouth over there. I'll just call him that. <laughs> okay? And you think, oh, I don't want to be like that. And you know that will turn you off in itself? Are you all here? I know people today that, that don't do, you know, godly things because of religious people that have just ruined it for them. And every time they want to do something, they're thinking of that person. They think, oh God, I don't want to become like that person. Hello? Amen? So again, you do as the, as the Lord leads. And, and today, we're gonna, I'm going to help you with that. Okay. Alright, so even though the question is coming primarily from the disciples of John, and though they may be genuinely interested in, the, in an answer, there is still a hint of criticism, and perhaps bitter accusation in the way that they ask the question. But as William Hendrickson points out, and which almost every commentator seems to agree on, is that the law of God suggests only one fast in an entire year, namely on the Day of Atonement. In the course of time, however, fasts, not always total, okay, some were just partial fasts, began to multiply, so that we read about their occurrence at other times also. From sunrise to sunset, for three weeks. I've given you all the references there, by the way. Just look down the bottom of your page. For 40 days. And the climax was the observance of a fast twice a week. Twice a week, the boast of the Pharisee. Alright. And that's what these fast had, fasts had degenerated into. A device for self-exaltation. When they originally were meant to be an expression of mourning over the sins of Israel and a symbolic weekly rebuke and reminder to all Israel to participate as a nation in religious reform and repentance. Are you all getting this? Okay. In fact, R. Kent Hughes says that the Pharisees had decreed... Now, this is what the Pharisees are decreeing, okay? All right. The Pharisees had decreed that godly people should fast twice a week on the second and fifth days, Mondays and Thursdays, and to let everyone know that they were fasting. They whitened their faces, put ashes on their heads, wore their clothes in shoddy disarray, refused to wash, and looked as forlorn as possible. But this was not at all God's will. And listen, that's what you don't do. <laughs> Alright, okay. As John MacArthur points out, except, and this is really important, except for the prescribed fast on the Day of Atonement, all other fasts, were supposed to be voluntary. Oh, stop for a minute. Did you get that? Okay. Even for Israel, there was only one fast that they were meant to engage in. It was once a year. Y'all can manage to fast once a year? Oh, that's not too bad, huh? <laughs> okay. All right. Every other fast. And that was to be done as a nation. You know. Like the old 40-hour famine, you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, you know, we all did it. We, you know, we all got involved in that and, and, and there was purpose behind it. Are you with me? Anything else was up to you. So if you had somebody going, oh, oh you only fast once a year, do you? Oh, okay. 
Well, I, I fast twice a week. Mm, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know what? That is something that probably God isn't even going to recognize. You're just going hungry twice a week so you can boast. There's no godliness in that one. Get it? All right? And can I just say this? If it's voluntary, it means that you are doing it as you are led by the Spirit for a purpose. And that is the last, you know, the last thing you want to do is go tell people why you're fasting. Because usually it's something private. Hello. (laughs) Okay? It might be, you know, maybe your kid went off the rails or something. And doing something really horrific and you just think, God, I need to fast and pray over that one. So as if you're going to tell, now Mabel, guess what? You know, my, <laughs> you're not going to get on the phone and tell everybody? So if you are fasting, just to tell people you're fasting, then you're not fasting for the right reason. Okay? Because when you fast for the right reason, the, the last thing you will do is let people know. Because of what's behind it. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, what am I saying? Hasa said, don't fast. No, man. <laughs> okay? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, there is a time to fast. And if you need to fast, by all means, fast. You know, if you need to just take time out from everything. Do you, know, you understand what fasting is? If people think fasting is, oh, I, I have to do without food. It isn't that. Listen carefully. Fasting is you saying, I am not going to engage in anything else over this period of time except in communication with God in prayer. Do you get it? That's why prayer and fasting go together because it's saying, God, I want to give you all of my attention. And I don't want to let anything get in the way. Because food, depending on what you're eating. See, that's why there's different kind of fasts. You know, Daniel went on a fast that he said, I won't eat any pleasant food. Get it? So you can fast all sorts of things. The bottom line is, when you're fasting, you're, you're stopping all the distractions. You think chocolate mousse in your fast, eh, we're going to have a problem. Because in that moment, your whole attention went to your chocolate mousse. Like, oh dear God, this is good. Well, you know, you forget, you know God was talking, you were somewhere else. Get it? I'm making a joke, but you all know what I'm trying to say, right? Whatever is distracting you, fast it. That's what the fast is all about. That you want to keep your attention on God, on His Word, and get, you know, be led by the Spirit for whatever it is that you need right now. Because you need an answer. You need a breakthrough. And you don't want to let anything get in the way of that. Okay. Amen? Amen. Okay. Oh, we're out of time. Can we drop it here and then pick it up in the next session? All right. Let's take a break.